Spring of Life Fellowship and the vision of changing the world invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Let's listen to our guest. Bless you. It is always so good to be on a Wednesday night with Christians because, you know, how many know Wednesday nights like real Christians? Amen? These are people that are hungry for God, so... Well, welcome from Dallas. I love Spring of Life Church. I love Pastor Joaquin and Yvette Molina, and I'm honored to be here. I mean, it, you know, it's not a small thing for a pastor to open his pulpit to you to come and speak. You understand, that's a, that's a huge honor. And so I'm honored to be here tonight. I come from uh, Dallas, Texas, home of the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Dallas Cowboys do not have a website because they can't string together three W's. I know, bad humor. I had to start it off. I had to start it off. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing to be here, you know, and, and, you know, it's the whole glory without the story thing where we hear the good things right off the bat about uh, men of honor and, and my life and things that God's doing. But there's a big story behind all that. And, you know, and, and the only thing that I want to glory in tonight is the cross of Christ because without the cross of Christ and what, what Jesus did in my life, um, it, it's just a wreck. It's a train wreck is what it is. But, uh, you know, I told Pastor we'd talk a little bit about my testimony and kind of transition into what God's doing through this ministry uh, so you kind of get a, a picture, a full picture of what's going on. Because if you look, you say, well, it looks like he's got it together. He looks, you know, a fairly decent guy. But it, it wasn't always that way. Amen? And, um, you know, my dad was a... a a, a redneck barfighter type guy, a very violent man, uh, and and what he thought was a, was an idea of manhood was a guy who could drink a lot and, and a guy who could fight. So my earliest remembrance of my dad was being in a restaurant or someplace with him, and then the next thing I know, he's looking at a guy at another table, and then they're going at it in the middle, you know, and and uh, you know my stomach's in knots and our life was pretty tore up. He couldn't keep a job because he'd end up you know getting in a fight or getting fired or something like that. So we lived in some pretty abject poverty, you know. So I never lived I never lived in the same house for a full year growing up. So it was always moving and always going and always stuff going on and getting evicted and getting the electricity shut off. And anybody else ever had any of that happen? You're not going to raise your hand anyways, right? <laughs> but uh, going through all that and then my parents, you know, my mom finally had enough of my dad. And so, so they, they divorced and at, at about the age of 13 or so, I was given the will of my life. I could do whatever I wanted to because I didn't have parental supervision. And it didn't take me long that I started following in the same footprints of my dad because he was my hero. Even though I, I had tremendous unforgiveness towards him, it kind of bound me to the same sins that he had. So by the age of about 13 or 14, I was drinking heavily. I was smoking pot and I was beginning to experiment with drugs and then by the age of 16, I had been in and out of juvenile detention and in and out of jail. And uh, my life was just a wreck. I was strung out on drugs. And, uh, you know, it, it was pretty bad progression of drugs, too. It wasn't just minor stuff. It ended up being like, you know, injecting drugs. It was pretty bad. And then about the age of 18 or 19, I got in some serious trouble, um, you know, from fighting and had an aggravated assault charge. And I was there in... Uh, it's called Lou Sterrett Criminal Justice Center there in Dallas. And, you know, when, when my dad was, was, when I was very young, 
um, he had just gave his heart to Christ. And one of the first things that he did was he took me to an Assembly of God church. And he actually did name me after the pastor. My middle name is after uh, Pastor Wayne Brashear. We were talking about that today. And he lifted me up before the Lord, and he dedicated me to the Lord. And then right after that, he backslid and took our family into a really, you know, just a horror story. But, you know, that the Lord honors those type things. When we make covenant with God, he's a forever covenant God. And so, so God's hand was on my life even during those times, and the promises of God were sure. God's plan for my life was sure. God was not confused about what was going to happen in my life. And so he kept me, and he held me. And as I was sitting in jail, I remembered a little bit about some Bible stories, and uh, I asked for a chaplain, and the chaplain came to where I was in trouble, and uh, I asked him for a Bible, and he gave me a Bible, and I opened my Bible up, and it opened up to, I think it's either Isaiah 42 or 43, but it says that he's going to use what I read out of it, my life, to lead people out of prison and out of darkness into light. And when I read it, I thought, does this mean I'm going to be in prison for the rest of my life with a prison ministry? Or, you know, it wasn't real encouraging. But, but I gave my heart to Christ, and um, transformational things began to happen in my life. I got set free completely from drugs and from alcohol, and uh, got out of jail, got out of trouble, you know, and got my life straight. And I went straight, to, straight after I left there, and I went to a church, and when I walked into the church, there was this really pretty girl named Melissa Ror- well, Melissa Prather at the time. And she and I met, and I was looking for Jesus, uh, but she had been in church all of her life. I had really long hair and leather jacket, kind of a hood-looking guy. She had been raised in church, so when I came in, it was like, wow, you know, the guy from the wrong side of the tracks. But she and I uh, met and dated and got married. And, and by this time, I really began to see some big transformation in my life. And I, I, I still run into people that knew me from that time, and they go, man, I can't believe the difference in you. It's like you're a new, a new guy. And I tell them my theme verse for my life, and it's 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says, If any man be in Christ, any woman or man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things are become new. And I'll, and I'll just get bold enough to tell them. I'll say, you know, I'm transformed now, but, you know, don't blink because I'm becoming something even greater because of the greater one on the inside of me. And that's God's plan for our life is that he would take us from glory to glory. Where you're at today is not where you were yesterday, but guess what? It's not where you're going to be tomorrow because the greater one lives on the inside of you. Galatians 2.20 says this. It says, I am crucified with Christ Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And it's a transformational thing. You can't ask the God of all the universe to come into your heart and come into your life and not expect to be completely transformed and completely changed. God doesn't want to leave you anything looking like what you originally were. He wants to transform your life. So... You know, I I began to learn what it meant to be a Christian, but I never really knew what it meant to be a man because my dad taught me if you drink, if you drink a lot, if you fight a lot, if you're loud enough, that makes you a man. How many know that makes you an idiot? Amen? So I became an idiot with my life, and I became an idiot towards my wife, and I didn't know how to respond to her, and I I didn't know how to minister to her. 
Because as a husband, you're called to lay down your life, just like Jesus laid down his life for the church, for your wife and minister to her and to your children and to your family and to be a man of God. That's what the definition of a true man is. Manhood and Christ-likeness are synonymous. Jesus didn't come to serve, but he came to lay down his life and to serve. You know, um, I think it's funny because guys who make their wives serve them, you know, like you're shaking the glass, I need something else to drink. What they don't realize is according to the kingdom principles, they're actually making their wife the leader by making her serve. Because the more she serves, the more of a leader she becomes. So it's just a perpetuating thing. When we begin to serve our wives and serve our families, then we become the leader of the home and be what Jesus was. Make sense? Turn to your neighbor and say, he got you on that one. Go ahead and tell him. So there I was. I was a backslidden Christian, and I was there with my wife. And then, then one day she left. She, she had enough. And the first day I was like, fine, hit it. See you later. It's all right. It's not too bad. Second day I was like, it's okay. The third day I was like, this is not good at all. Fourth day I was like, ah, I'm dying. This is like hell, you know. And, and like Pastor said, the only thing that, that I knew to do was just, I was so desperate, is I just pulled all the shoes out and I got on my face and I blew snot bubbles in the carpet. Amen? I just cried out to God and I said, God, you got to change me because I don't know what it is about me. I don't know what I don't know, but I know that you know, and I want to yield my life completely to you. And so I started praying for her. And, you know, she wasn't, it wasn't like I was all, you know, it was all my fault. How many know there's two sides to every story? It's mostly her fault. No, not really. But she had been abused. She had been sexually abused when she was younger, and she didn't know how to deal with that. And as soon as we uh, got married, all that stuff came out and all that unforgiveness, and I became the face of the abuse that she went through. So she was angry with me about things that I didn't understand and didn't know, and I didn't know how to minister to her and be understanding of her, so I just gave her my typical jerk response. And guess what? Didn't go over too good. So um, she left, and I prayed, and we came back together in counseling, and just because I shamed her into it. That's the only reason that she came to counseling is because she didn't want to be look bad because I was a guy who was going to counseling, you know. But she didn't want to be in the same room with me, so she counseled with someone else. Then we came together in the same room, but we had to have somebody sitting beside, uh, in between us. And then eventually the pastor talked us into moving back in together. So we're in the same house, we're sleeping in the same bed, but it's completely frigid. Anybody ever been in that kind of situation? Completely frigid. And one night, as I was laying there, the Lord spoke to me in, inside. Very strong thought, very loud voice said, Get up, I want you to anoint her head with oil because tonight I'm going to heal her. And I was like, there ain't no way I'm going to put anything on her head in the middle of the night. Because <laughs> if she wakes up and catches me doing that, it's, you know... So I rolled back over to go back to sleep, and uh, then like a trumpet blast on the inside of me, the voice of the Lord said, get up, I'm going to heal her tonight. So I went in there, and I got the anointing oil, got a little on my hand, laid back down, touched her real quick, rolled over, went to sleep. The next morning, she woke me up, transformational change. God had healed her heart. Our marriage was restored. And then from that point on, it's been a growth in Christ and miracle after miracle of sin. Let's give the Lord a hand. Amen. 
So I said all that to give you the testimony to know that God did some big, huge things in my life. And as it is, I, I began to look around and I, I began to see all these other young men who didn't have dads in their lives. And God did great things with me. I, was a, I dropped out of high school in 10th grade. My life was a wreck. I, I got my GED as a condition of probation. Um, but then after that, I went back to school. And I went to college. I got my degree and then became a school principal. I know, it's just crazy when you think about all the things that God did. And then all of a sudden, I'm a principal and I'm working with kids. And I see this tremendous need for young men to have someone in their life just to point them in a, in a direction to say, look, this is what it means to be a man. And so I had these little group of four boys that were always in my office pretty much every day in trouble. So I decided to do something a little bit more preventative than curative, and I started mentoring these four boys after school. Four boys turned into 50 boys. Then it turned into three campuses. Then it spread all over Dallas-Fort Worth, North Texas. Now it's a program that's all over the nation. I mean, we got groups up in Michigan. Uh, we got groups in Maru, Kenya, Nairobi, South Africa, and it's just beginning to spread all over the place. God wants to take whatever it is that's hurt in your life and brokenness, and if you will yield it to him, he will not only heal you, but he'll use what, what healed you to help you to reach other people and transform lives and use you for a greater thing. Amen? Amen. So right now, I know if you're, if you're sitting in a situation and it doesn't look good, I promise you God can turn it around and he can use you to do tremendous things. Amen? So I started working with these, these, these young people, and uh, I'm going to give you some statistics real quick because really what we have is we have a strategy that I believe can change the world, and it's by mentoring young men and young women. The statistic is, is that if a person accepts Jesus Christ as Savior, um, I think it's like 80 to 90% of it do before the age of 19, and then after that, it just exponentially drops off the likelihood that they ever will. But the data also shows that after the age of 14, it begins to decrease as well. So we focus our efforts towards impacting that, that group of young people. Here's the one that, are there any young people in here, church young people? Raise your hand if you're youth group age. Good deal. All right, see some guys on the back. Listen to this. This is a staggering statistic. Somewhere between 71 and 80% of young people that are in the church that go through youth group that graduate and go off to college, never return to church again. That's like eight out of ten kids. And the reason that I believe that that is is because we fail to pass the torch of discipleship, of our faith, to the next generation in a meaningful way. I don't know about you, but that really concerned me. And I decided, you know, look, I, I want to make sure that, that the young people that go through men of honor and ladies of honor, they have everything that they need so that they don't walk away from their faith. So, so, young person, if you're in here tonight, I want you to think about that. Eight out of ten, that's a pretty staggering statistic. And what would it take for you to walk away? What do you have that, that, that will make you stay? So the enemy has a very comprehensive and a strategic plan for our young people. What's our plan? It says that, that his, his plan is in John 10.10. 10. It says, The thief comes not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Adolf Hitler said, he alone who owns the youth owns the future. The enemy knows about our kids and our young people. He knows that that's really where it's at. So we have a strategy 
that, that helps one guy to mentor and train 30, 60, 100-fold return in the lives of young people. There's a, a verse in Joshua, uh, excuse me, in Judges 2.10 about the, the generation of Moses. Then it says there was the generation of Joshua. Then there arose a generation that knew not the Lord. How do you get from part in the Red Sea to Jericho falling down to I don't even know who God is? Well, because they forgot to pass the torch to the next generation. 46% of young people woke up this morning without dad in the home. That's the national statistic. In urban areas, it's 78%. In the areas that I deal in, I find it's 9 out of 10. Kids don't have a dad in the home to teach them how to be, how to be a man, how to be a Christ-like man. Every year in the United States, 750,000 young people try to commit suicide. 300,000 of them succeed. I asked the Lord, I said, man, I, I, you know, that's a staggering thought. 300,000 young people dying every year committing suicide just because they don't know that, 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 that God has a plan for their life. And it's a great plan. It's like an on-fire awesome plan for each individual young person. Can you imagine the hopeless place that someone would come to that they would actually think of themselves of having no value to end their life? I know I've been there. You know, I felt that way before. But I'm glad somebody told me. And as I'm thinking about that 300,000 young people that commit suicide, I think, what would that look like? 300,000 young people. And then I began to think about in Ezekiel. God gave Ezekiel a vision. He said he took him up on a high cliff, and, and out in this valley was a valley full of bones. And he asked Ezekiel, he said, Son of man, can these bones live? I like Ezekiel's answer. Because you know he's standing there on the edge of this cliff looking at all these bones, and he's thinking to himself, these are all the prophets that answered incorrectly. But he said, Lord, only you know. Only you know, God. So it was a good answer. And the Lord said, Son of man, I want you to prophesy to these bones. Son of man here in this place, son of woman here in this place, God wants you to prophesy to the dead bones of the next generation that's lying in waste and tell them that God has a plan for their lives. And when you speak, here's what happens. The Bible said that when he spoke, when he prophesied to them, it says that the winds came and the bones began to rattle and they began to come together and bone to bone and sinew upon the bone and muscle and flesh. And he said before he knew it, there was standing in front of him an exceeding great army. What would it look like if we had the 300,000 kids that, that committed suicide in 2012 out here in this parking lot on fire for God? What would that look like? It would transform and change this, this entire area. And you know what? It's so simple because their hearts are longing for life. When they hear truth and when they hear life, they respond. Every young person and every person in this room is created in the image of God. So you already got greatness on the inside of you. And you're just waiting on somebody to say, hey, this is what it is. That's what they're waiting on. So it's a simple strategy. But it's grassroots change. It starts in the, in the, you know, just in the basic levels. You know, the, the homosexuals and the humanists, they've already begun to indoctrinate our children. And they've given them a really great marketed cause that they can stand up and say, I'm for this. And, and give them something to rally around because they all want something to rally around. But it's a lie. We have the truth. 
We have the cause of causes, and we can hold up the banner of Jesus Christ and say, come on, young person, there's the cause of causes, and see them rally around that. You know, this, this gospel that, that, that's been in the church for such a long period of time, it's, it's really messed up. You know, it, it's, it's a casual Christianity that we come in and we come out of, but that's not what Jesus preached. Jesus said, come, follow me, take up your cross which really means let's just lay down our lives. Let's actually die to, to our desires and die to, to, to what we want and, and, and say, Jesus, it's everything. It's all or nothing. It's full tilt to follow you. That's exciting, amen? That's exciting, and that's really what our hearts long for on the inside. We don't want to be casual. We don't want to be halfway about it. Man, we want something that, that, that gives us enough that we can say, I'm willing to lay down my life for that. We have that. Amen? You know, I'm working with, with, with kids, and, 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 and when, when kids were born, as a matter of fact, everybody in this room, when you were born, there were three parties present. Okay? I don't know if your dad was there. I'm pretty sure your mom was there when you were born. <laughs> Maybe your dad wasn't there, but they named you. What's your name, brother? Jules. Jules. They named Jules. They named... George, Jose, they named whatever your name was. But there was also a representative of the enemy that was there, and they named drug addict, loser, AIDS victim, suicide victim, drug addict. But there was also a representative of the Lord that named you something, said, I name you victorious. I name you overcomer. I name you prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, apostle. And a lot of times, the only way that they know that is if we tell them what that name is. And they'll, they'll fulfill two of those three names in their lifetime. So we're saying that to young people, and we're triggering in them the same kind of response that we read about in the Bible. God always chose the young people. You know, the Daniels, the Shadrach, Meshachs, the Bednegos, you know, the Davids, the Esthers. God always chooses the young people to do great things for him. But often it takes us to call it out of them, speak into their hearts and say, I see, I see greatness in you. So fathers, you know, it's, it's so important that we father the next generation to give them an anthem that they can declare. Fathers, make room, give time. And, uh, you know, at the end of Dr. Cole's life, who mentored me, he was surrounded by men from 210 nations. They still say his name like, you know, Dr. Cole changed my life. One guy impacted thousands of men. God wants that same thing in each man in this room. There's greatness in you, and you have the capacity to mentor and train and father hundreds, if not thousands of others. And the time is, is, is never before needed like it is right now. God wants to use you. Same way with the women here. The women should also, the Bible says, train the younger women. Capacity to do great things because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. With God, nothing is impossible. So it's time for us to, to move ahead. And, and uh, I, I just want to end with this one story. I think I told it last time I was here, but it's my favorite story. Are we nearing the end? It's, it's a strategy change the world, and it's one of my favorite stories, but it's the David Livingston story. How many was here last time when I told that story? Oh, good, like three of you. You'll probably remember it when I start telling it. 
But David Livingston was a tremendous man of God. And from, from an early age, he envisioned himself going to Africa, the dark continent. Nobody knew about it, really. It hadn't been mapped very much and sure hadn't been evangelized. But he went over to Africa as soon as he got old enough. And he began to, to map the continent. And he began to preach the gospel to the natives. Preach the gospel from village to village. Saw literally hundreds of natives get, get uh, saved and you know, went into areas that had never before heard the gospel. Um, you know, his wife ended up getting sick and had to go back to England where they were from. And he would go back and forth. And, and when he finally came back to see her the last time before she died, she didn't even recognize him because he had been out in the sun and his skin became dark and leathery. He had actually was running through um, like two tribal uh, skirmish, uh, skirmish broke out. He tried to escape and was running through the woods at night and a twig poked out one of his eyes. And he had been attacked by a lion, so he kind of walked with a gimp. So when he came in the room, she didn't even recognize him until he spoke. You know, This guy laid down his life day after day, preaching the gospel, making sure that all, all knew. And then she passed away, and uh, he continued to, to, to move on. And then he became sick. And he told God, he said, look, I'm not going back to England. You, you send medicine here, or I'm going to die because I'm, I'm going to keep going, God. I'm going to keep going. He was so committed. Two weeks after he prayed that prayer, um, one of the reporters from Her Majesty's newspaper arrived and said, I've come to do a story on you, David Livingston, and I've got two things to tell you. First of all, I'm a swaggering atheist, so don't try to convert me. And the second thing is, uh, I brought some medicine and stuff. I don't know, does anybody need medicine here? This guy ended up giving his heart to Christ. But David Livingston was, you know, imagine now, David's at the end of his life. He's a venerable old saint of God. He's been laid down his life for the natives, loves the people. He's sick, and he's laying on a cot, and they're carrying this cot from village to village. He's, he's sitting up on the cot. He's preaching the gospel. People are responding to the gospel. He lays back down. They carry him to another village. And this goes on and on and on. Then at the end of this life, he's in his room, and he has a, a guy that helps him. His name was Chumba. He said, Chumba, prop me up that I might pray for Africa. Chumba said, no, David, you must, you must rest. He said, no, 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 I must pray. And so they propped David Livingston up by the, by the bed. He's down there on his knees, and he's praying. Chumba leaves the room, and he comes back sometime later. And David Livingston had died on his knees praying for Africa. So they took his body, and ceremonially they wrapped it, and all the chieftains came out from all over Africa, and they carried his body from where it was to where the, a ship was going to take his body back to England. But before they took his body back, the natives took a knife, and they cut his heart out of his chest. People were shocked. What are these natives doing? What are these savages doing? But they said something very interesting. They said, his body may belong to England, but his heart belongs to Africa. So the question is, when we die, where are they going to bury our hearts? Hopefully it's in the heart of the next generation that we've taken some time to impact, to change, to lead them to Christ, to, to teach them what does it mean to be a man of God, to see transformation happen in our communities and all around us because God is waiting to break out to break out of your life, to break out of this church, to spill out into the communities, to spill out into your family, to see great revival. That's God's plan. It says that He doesn't desire for any perish, any to perish, but for all to come to, to the knowledge of Him. 
That's God's plan. Let's get with the plan. Amen? Amen. Bless you. Amen. I don't believe in coincidence. I believe that God has sent Tony here for such a time as this. Could we stand tonight? Tony, could you come here? I want the men to respond to this call. I want you to come so that God could make you fit to serve your generation. In the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 36, you don't have to be lost in this world and confused. Listen what it says in Acts 13, 36. It's up on the screen. David, after he served his own generation in the will of God, he fell asleep. He died. That's what God has us doing here. I'm going to ask all the men to come forward. If you're confused about being a man or not, ask the person next to you. Andy and Nelson, come. Ivan, come. Joshua, come forward. Yeah, you can leave that there for a second. I want Tony to pray for you. You guys on the camera, go ahead and just hang your, your earphones on the camera and come forward, please. If there's one thing that this generation is lacking are men. Men that will stand up to be husbands, to be fathers, and even to father orphans. Since the age of 25, we began to lead a youth, a youth group. And we were super young. But we had a voice and a command to call young people to serve the Lord. And all over the world, there are men that represent a new generation of young people. They're not stupid. They're not foolish. They're wise. They're courageous. They're like David. They're willing to take on the fights for the battle of this generation. The battles of your generation are pornography. The battle of your generation is unfaithfulness. There's no more faithful men. Proverbs 20 verse 6 says, Who can find a faithful man? And the reason we have this retreat every year, we want to have it. So it's called the Father and the Son Retreat. We're not talking about biological fathers necessarily, but we are doing what is turning our hearts back to the heart of fathers. Look what it says, Proverbs 26. It says, most men will all proclaim that they're okay. But if they were okay, they could be faithful. And then it says, who can find a faithful man? A man consists of three things, his thoughts, his words, and his actions. And if your thoughts are out of God's thoughts, and your words are out of God's understanding of his word, and your actions don't reflect the glory of his character, you can never be a man. So the Bible says, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ being formed in us, hanging around with wise men. We don't bring Tony Rory into Miami because he has nothing to do. We don't seek him out because he speaks well. We've seen the transformation of his character and he leads by example. His thoughts, his words, and his actions line up. And he could say, you know something? I have something to serve if you come and get it. 
There's no more. We don't have to be like Puff Daddy and all the other guys that are out there that have no ability to show forth manhood or character. And that's what it is to be lost and confused and throw tantrums and have you, one wife leave you, two wives leave you, three wives leave you, four wives leave you because there's no character. Can you pray for them? Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you right now for these men. Men, you were not brought forth by the passion of the flesh. You were brought forth by the design and the will of Almighty God. He chose you. He selected you. He formed you when you were in your mother's womb. And he has a tremendous plan for your life. You are, you are greater than you know. You are more epic than you know. Your life counts for more than you know. You're not an accident. You're an answer to a problem. You're a solution and you are great. And greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. God's beginning to transform your life even now. And he's just looking for a yes. He's not mad at you. He's not condemning you. He's not disappointed with you. He loves you, and He has a great plan for your life. Lift up every hand in this place right now. Father, I pray for these men right now. I thank you, Lord, that they are becoming greater and greater and greater. Beginning with this moment, this is a line in the sand. Father, from this point forward, they'll not walk as they walked before. They'll not speak as they spoke before because they're answering a call to follow you, to be great and mighty men in the earth, Lord, to transform their families, to transform their communities, to transform this nation because they're allowing you to pour out of their lives onto others, Lord. Thank you, God, for this retreat this weekend. I pray each man would be touched and walk away, Lord, with, with tools in his toolbox that he can use to fix the problems that are before him. Father, right now I pray for open eyes to see the plan of God, to see, even more importantly, themselves as you see them, God, to open their eyes, Lord, to see how wonderful they are in your sight, God, how awesome they are in your sight, God. Lord, I pray for open ears right now to hear your voice calling their name affectionately. My son, I love you. My son, I love you. Father, I thank you for strength. Lord, I pray that the, the feeble hands and arms would be strengthened tonight, Lord. That courage would rise up in the heart of every man in this place. And that it's a new day and a new beginning. Because you are, Father, you make all things new. You're the God who makes all things new. I bless these men tonight. I say may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. And may the Lord give you peace, mighty man of God. In Jesus' name, hallelujah and amen. Amen. I know there's a couple of you guys still are trying to sign up to go to this retreat. We're going to squeeze this guy like an orange. We're going to get all that we can while he's here in Miami. And you guys, don't miss it. This is going to be three days. It's going to be Thursday night, Friday, all day and then Saturday morning, and then he'll be here on Sunday morning also ministering the Word of God with his wife. So um, do all you can do. I mean, the, the, the only thing...